have prayed for something to happen in the face of tremendous opposition, in the face of great odds against them, and they got what they prayed for because they had confidence that God would hear and answer prayer. That's what it gets back to. I want to speak on the subject, this is the confidence. The word confidence means a full trust. A full trust in the reliability of something or someone. That's the nature of the word confidence. That's what it means. And it seems to me that most people have some type, some form of confidence in someone or something. Having confidence in a chair means you have no problem sitting in it. Having confidence in a fiancé means you have no problem marrying him or her. And so this idea of confidence, a full trust in the reliability of someone or something. Now having said that, I need to balance the picture because some people do not put their confidence in anyone. There are people like that. They don't trust anyone. They don't want to draw near to anyone. They got no confidence. And there are even, and this is true, there are even some people that don't even trust themselves. They don't even trust themselves. And there's times particularly when some people have a, maybe a besetting sin or a hang-up, a real habit, a bad habit, and they, they don't trust themselves when they're around certain temptations. And we can understand that, I suppose. Having confidence, though, in God, to have confidence in God, I think, is one of the most wonderful things. Just to be able to approach God with confidence that He's going to listen to us. And again, balancing the picture, there are some people who have no confidence in God. They don't believe God is reliable whatsoever. Uh, some of these people got that way. They lost any trust they had in God because they prayed and they didn't get an answer to prayer. Or they got the wrong answer, what they thought was the wrong answer. And so because of that, they lost their confidence in God. They have no more trust in God. I think that's a shame. I need to ask you tonight, how is your confidence in God these days? Are, how willing are you to come into His presence? How excited are you to come into His presence day by day? Having confidence in God, I think, is a wonderful, wonderful way to live your life. And this is especially true when it comes to prayer. Essentially, prayer is asking things of God. I know that along with prayer, there can be worship, there can be praise, there can be meditation on the Word, or um, giving of thanks for blessings. They can be all these things accompanied with prayer, but essentially, that word prayer means to ask. And we use that sometimes in English. We'll say, I pray you, please help me. And the word prayer there means simply ask. I'm asking you, you see. And so when it comes to prayer, when we go to God and we're going to ask Him for things, it's kind of important that we have some form of confidence that God is going to listen and He's going to answer. This is the confidence. So we need to have confidence that God will indeed receive us at the throne of grace, will listen to us, and will answer our prayer and grant us our requests. How do we get confidence? How do we get this kind of confidence? Well, that's what we want to look into tonight. 
But first, let's ask the Lord to show us and teach us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we can come at any time, any place to you and cry out to you. And dear Heavenly Father, please give us all greater confidence in you. Teach us how to do it. Teach us what's involved, Lord. Increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in uh, 1 John chapter 5, would you look there please? 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to read two verses of the Bible. And I'm going to get you to read them out loud with me. You can keep your seats. But 1 John chapter 5, and you dear folk at home, don't let us do all the work. You grab a Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. All right, 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. Now, read it out loud with me. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. A very, very good promise from God. Very good. Every Christian alive needs 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is written for us. This is written for God's children. And here it is that we have the secret, if you will. This is the confidence. Now, I'd given you sort of a dictionary definition of confidence, having a full trust in the reliability and the trustworthiness of something or someone. That's the idea of confidence. John here, he almost takes another approach in giving us a definition. And it's very interesting how he does this. When he talks about confidence in God, he almost looks at it from sort of a family sort of relationship. Now, you needn't turn there, but back in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, the Lord Jesus said these words, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? And so here the Lord Jesus is dealing with a family sort of relationship when it comes to asking and receiving. And here's a son who confidently comes to his father and he asks for bread or he asks for fish, confidently knowing that his father is listening and will answer his request and give him what it is he's asking. Now that's what the Lord Jesus said. Here the Apostle John seems to borrow, perhaps, uh, if I can use that expression, he seems to borrow from this and um, we have something similar. We have uh, us, God's children, coming to God, God the Father, and confidently asking God for something. But notice what our confidence is. This is our confidence. It's in verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And the next verse says, and if we know He hears us, then we know we got it, what it was we're asking. And so John comes right out and gives us a, a very, very good tip, a very good secret for prayer. That if we ask anything according to His will, 
That is our confidence before God. Our full belief, our full assurance in the trustworthiness of God's will, God's promise. And if we come before God and we ask for something that's according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know He hears us, we got it. We got it. Now, it may not come that very second. It may be on its way. And we may have to be praying confidently for perhaps all day or a number of days or weeks or depending on what it is. It could be months we're praying. But you see, if we know He hears us, well, how do we know He hears us? Because we've asked according to His will. That's how we know. And so, the, uh, the question in your mind and in my mind ought to be, how do we know what God's will is then? Is it possible for us to know what God's will is? And the answer is yes. God reveals His will to us in two ways. I'm going to share those with you now. The first way is His written, revealed will. And it's in the Bible. That's why every Christian needs to be a student of the Bible. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim you're born again, saved on your way to heaven and you're not a student of the, the Bible, you're missing out, my friend. You will never know God's will. God's will is always, always connected with God's Word. Always. Now, someone might right away say, oh, time out here, Pastor. How do I know what job to take if I should work in this city or that city? Is the Bible going to tell me that? And you, you, once in a while, you'll hear some kind of remark like that, with kind of an attitude like that. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> and the way they go, they have some kind of scenario. Well, the answer is yes, God can actually give knowledge of his will as to what job, what city, what person to marry. God has a perfect will. That is a perfect will. It's not a so-so will. It's not a 90% will. It's a perfect will for all areas of our lives. Now, if we want to get involved with worldly things or something that's ungodly, well, God's perfect will is get out of that stuff because God's not in that stuff. You see, the world and God are enemies. They're enemies. It's like God and Satan. They're not, you know, bosom buddies. They're enemies. This world is often led and controlled by Satan. All you got to do is look around. All of the things in the world, it seems to me, there are more ways to get into trouble today than ever before. There's more ways to commit sin now than ever before. My opinion only. But it seems that way to me. It seems so. Well, I want to tell you these two ways. So the first way is what we'll call chapter and verse. All right? This is where you can go to an actual Bible verse that will tell you God's will. Now we'll take an example of this. We'll go back to the Gospel of Luke. And we'll go to chapter 10. Now this one, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to pray about. This is actually God's perfect revealed will for every Christian. Luke chapter 10. You got it? Verse number 2. Read it. Read verse 2. And you have just read God's perfect will 
Maybe some of you at home, you haven't looked it up and you're wondering, well, what it is. Well, look it up. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, you'll read God's perfect will. If you're a Christian, if you're born again, you're part of God's family, this is God's perfect will for you and for me. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Okay, what is it? What does God want us to be doing? I'll give you a hint if you need a hint. It starts with the word pray. The second word is for, F-O-R. Pray for... Hmm? For what? Pray for what? Yeah, workers. Pray for workers. Full-time workers. You know, the harvest is great. The workers or the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. That's what Jesus is telling us. The Lord, of the Lord of the harvest, by the way, is the Holy Spirit. We won't take the time to explain that, but he's the Holy Spirit, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. We need to be praying that God would raise up more men and women who will live their lives full-time for the Lord and help win souls and win communities and get churches started. We need to be praying for that. How can I know what God's will is? Well, that's right there. We are a missions-minded church. I think we all realize that. Praise the Lord for what God has done for us and through us in the area of missions. There's going to be some mighty, wonderful rewards in heaven when we get there. A lot of people saved whose salvation we had a part in because we helped support the missionary that went. So when we have missionaries come and we have the money to support them, I think you ought to support them. Well, wait a minute. What if I don't think they're going to do a really good job? Should I vote for them? Well, let me ask you. Do you think you could do a better job? Because if you can, then we'll support you and help you to go to Timbuktu so that you can take the gospel to people who've never heard. So don't, you know... Sit back when it comes time, you know, to vote on a missionary and say, well, I don't know if this missionary will do the best job possible. I don't know. Well, you just ask yourself if you could do a better job. And if you say, well, I don't think so, then you get on the bandwagon. Here's someone, maybe they're not the the greatest missionary in the world, but they're a missionary. Even if they do a a half-hearted job, at least they're getting half the job done. At least they're willing to go. And at least they're willing to, to take the gospel. And so when it comes time voting on missionaries, if we have the money to do it, it's a no-brainer. If, they're, if they've got good standards and they're going with the purpose of trying to win souls, we ought to get behind them. We ought to vote them in. We ought to support them. Here, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. There's God's will right there. We need to be praying that God would raise up more full-time workers. Are you praying that God would speak to the hearts of some of our teenagers? You know, some of the greatest missionaries were all teenagers one time. How about that? There's choice wisdom right there. God spoke to their heart. God called them. 
They responded. We need to pray and ask God to raise up more missionaries, pastors, pastors' wives, evangelists, full-time Christian workers. Lord, if you can use our, our young people, here they are, Lord. Every parent ought to be putting their children on the altar Say, Lord, if you could use my son and my daughter, I'll do everything I can to support and bless. To me, that's a missions-minded family. Well, here we have chapter and verse. Now, I'll give you another example of a chapter and verse so that we know God's will. Some, some Christians, they, they haven't quite come to terms yet with gambling. And there's different forms of gambling. There's bingo, that's a form of gambling. There's the sports pool at work, that's a form of gambling. There's the lotto fever, that's a form of gambling. When they've got 50 million, 100 million, or something insane, or tell you what, even one or two million. And they're buying tickets on these things. And they justify it by saying, well, if I win, I'll give God some. That's how they justify it. But all these things are games of chance. It's just another form of gambling. That's what gambling is. You gamble with money that you're going to win. So let's go to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Chapter number 8. Now, I think you're all familiar with the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs that tells us not to try and get rich quick. Proverbs teaches that. So we have that in the back of our mind. Get rich quick. Don't go for that. Don't get involved with that. Well, there's the lotto right there. Get rich quick. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 21, God tells us, this is chapter and verse, folks, providing for honest things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Honest things. That means honest trade. Uh, you go to work at a job, you trade your time and talents for a certain amount of money. Well, that's not gambling. That's honest trade. You're trading your skills and your time for a certain amount of money, a paycheck. But when you go to the lotto, ticket booth there and you put down five ten dollars and some people put down a lot more than that or if you go into the casino and buy some chips and put some down on the roulette wheel or that uh, dice thing they do or even what they used to call the one-armed bandits you know where you put in a, a coin and you pull and blah, the wheels turn and you hope you get this big cash payout a lot of people really have gone broke because you know it, the odds are so heavily in favor of the house. That's what they're in business for. They're not set up in business to give away money. They're in business to make the money. Most everyone loses. That's not an honest way of, produ of producing anything. And so chapter and verse, we're told here in 2 Corinthians 8.21, you don't have to pray about the lotto. Lord, should I play the lotto? Lord, help me win on Friday. You don't have to pray that. 
Chapter and verse is telling you God's will. God will not bless. He will not hear if it's not his will. He's not even going to listen. He's not even going to listen. Can you imagine a little boy, seven years of age, and he goes after his dad. He wants his dad's car keys so he can take the car, drive it around the block, or go down to the store, or take his friends out for it. You know, the father says, oh, son, no, 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 no. You've got to wait a number of years, and you've got to take training, you know, before you get behind the wheel. But it, the kid doesn't let up. Every day he's asking his dad for the keys to the car. Well, I tell you, you know, his dad is just not going to listen to him. I mean, it's such nonsense. It's, it's foolishness. It's crazy. What father would ever give the car keys to a little seven-year-old? Say, here you go, boy. Try not to scratch it. Bring it back full of gas, too, by the way. What father would do such a thing? He wouldn't. And so God is not going to answer foolish, vainglory prayers. He's not even going to listen to them. All those prayers, if you've ever made prayers about the lottery, sorry to tell you this, but God wasn't listening. You say, how do you know? Chapter and verse right there. And 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 tell us that if we pray anything according to God's will, He hears us. And if we know He hears us, we know we receive. That's why I know God doesn't listen to the prayers of Christian or non-Christian praying to win the lotto. So folks, don't give your money to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are precious resources God has given you. We're to use them elsewhere for God's glory. All right. And so we have these two ways, as I mentioned. The first way is chapter and verse. The second way is through God's leading. And God will lead you. He'll show you what church. He'll show you what job. He'll show you what city. He'll show you who to marry. He'll show you what furniture. He'll show you what car. But the thing is, we have to wait upon Him. He will show us. There's no chapter and verse you can go to to decide if you're going to buy a General Motors product or a Ford product. There's no chapter and verse. But there are many Bible verses that teach us no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's Psalm 84.11. He's promised to give us the desire of our hearts. That's true. And that's actually a very important prayer promise. But the thing is, you have something in mind. Well, you need to take it to the Lord and take it to the Lord and ask and ask. If it's God's will, here's what will happen. The Holy Spirit will start burdening your heart. This is good. The Holy Spirit will encourage you to keep on coming. The Holy Spirit will increase your faith to keep on asking God. You know, God will even use the counsel of others. People who are godly people who know you, who love you, you go to them, for example, and say, you know, here's a, here's a company here and here's a company here, but I'm not sure, you know, they both look like good job offers. Do you have any counsel, any wisdom you could give me? And you'll find that God can give you some good counsel and wisdom through other godly Christians. Or, if your parents are still around, God often uses the counsel of parents. Often, not always, but often. You say, well, what if the parents aren't even saved? That's all right. God can still put His mind, His will into the hearts of unsaved parents. God still works in unsaved people. We have numerous examples of that in the Scriptures. 
God works in the hearts of unsaved people. God can work in the heart of an unsaved parent, a mom or a dad, and give you some amazing wisdom. And so what will happen is over a period of a time, and that time you say, well, how long, how long? I don't know. It could be weeks, months. You know, when it comes to the 104 building, I've examined my heart over months asking God to show me if I'm doing anything for vainglory. I spent months getting the answer to that prayer. I want that building because I believe I can bring forth more fruit for God than ever, ever before. It's an incredible fruit factory for God. It's going to mean a lot of work. It'd be a whole lot easier for me to retire, slip off into the shadows. I'm not ready for that. I want to serve the Lord. I'm an old workhorse. I want to serve God. And that building, wow. That's why I'm praying every day for that building. Five times a week I visit that building, drive around it, park and pray. You know, the Lord Jesus, he spoke to the fig tree and he cursed it, right? You know this story. It's in Mark chapter 11. And he said, no fruit will ever grow on you. And what happened? The very next day, the thing withered up. He spoke to a tree. So I go up there, I roll down the window, and I talk to the building. And I say, no man, no company will ever own you. Transfer your ownership to Grace Baptist Church in Jesus' name. I talk to the building. You say, Pastor, you're crazy. Well, if I am, so is Jesus. I got chapter and verse where he spoke to something. He even said, if a man had enough faith, he could talk to this mountain. I think that was the Mount of Olives. Be thou cast into the sea. There's talking to something inanimate. I'm talking to the building. And I'm talking to the Lord too. Well, as you develop great confidence, you'll come to God knowing that God is going to hear you and God's going to answer your prayer. So 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Many, many Christians have prayed for something to happen in the face of tremendous opposition, in the face of great odds against them, and they got what they prayed for because they had confidence that God would hear and answer prayer. That's what it gets back to. A lot of people say that experience builds confidence. When you've done something a number of times, you're very confident to do it again. And there's truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. Well, for us, this is our confidence. Whether we've done it once or whether we've done it a thousand times, this is still our confidence. It's the will of God. Get a hold of the will of God and now you've got the confidence. It's on the basis of the will of God that you can go into God and say, God, here you go. I think I told you the story once about a pastor I knew. He's dead now. But he had a few children, a couple of daughters. And one of his daughters, this is many, many years ago, one of his daughters came to him and said, Dad, would you buy me a new dress? And uh, he says, no. And she said, well, listen, if I'm, if I'm good, because I guess she had been kind of up and down a bit. She said, if I'm, if I'm good for a week, uh, would you buy me a new dress? I forget if it was a week or a month. Anyhow, he, he agreed. 
And so after the, the week or the month, whatever it was, she came to him and proudly says, well, I fulfilled uh, the bargain. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you something. <laughs> when they made the agreement, he said he would, he would buy her the dress. She said, would you put it in writing? He said, okay. And so they wrote it up and he signed it. And so after a month of her being good, she said, okay, I'm ready. You, I've been good all month. You can buy me a dress. He said, I'm not buying you a dress. She said, you promised. He said, I, I, I never promised. And she pulled out a paper and she said, is that your signature? He bought her the dress. And so when we go to God with his will and we say, Lord, did you write that? <laughs> That's a rhetorical question. Lord, did, did you write this promise? When we ask him, when we pray according to his will, he has to hear us. He wrote it. He has to hear us. And so if we know he hears us, we know we got what it is we're praying for. That's how it works. But what if it doesn't come the very next morning? Well, then you keep praying confidently. Maybe it'll come the, the, the day after. Maybe it'll come next week. Maybe it'll come in a month. Six months. Folks, we're in our third year praying for that building up on 104. We've crossed into our third year now that we're praying for that. Hasn't come yet, has it? No, but it hasn't sold yet either. Have you noticed that? Have you driven by the building lately? That for sale sign, it's getting old and decrepit. There's cobwebs on it. It hasn't sold. Why? Because we're praying. That thing should have sold, but we're praying. We're asking God for a miracle of miracles. Is God able? I think he is. Um, a couple of things I want to leave with you very quick and then we're done. Here's a couple of ways I think we can increase our confidence in God. And I'm just going to rattle them off for you. So you can write them down if you like. Number one is have no confidence in the flesh. That's in um, Philippians 3.3. Have no confidence in the flesh. And the context is talking about human achievements, those kind of fleshly things. And what it means is, in this example, that God needs to answer our prayer because of all the good things we've done. God, you need to answer my prayer because I haven't missed a church service in over a year. I've got one of the best records of church attendance in person or online. God, you can check me out. I've attended church. Well, that's wonderful. That's a great thing. But that's, that's putting confidence in your flesh. Well, God, I've handed out gospel tracts, maybe more than anyone else. That's wonderful. That needs to be done, and God will bless that. But that's not the basis of you getting your prayers answered. Any of the things that you and I can do, they may be good things and need to be done. But that's not the confidence the confidence is His will, not the wonderful things we've done. All right, number two is to learn to properly fear the Lord. You can write down Proverbs 14.26 and look it up later. We need to fear the Lord. Now, a good, loving, proper fear of the Lord will always keep God first in our lives. It'll always remind us that we belong to Him, we are the work of His hands, and one day we will answer to Him. And number three is to abide in Jesus. Um, actually, turn 
back to 1 John, would you? And we'll finish on that. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 28. And 1 John 2.28 And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, that's when Jesus comes, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so here is confidence, abiding in Jesus. The Lord Jesus told us in John 15.7, If ye abide in me, and my word abide in you, ye shall ask, what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, there's a good prayer promise. It's hinged upon abiding. That means walking with Jesus throughout the day. It doesn't mean taking off, forgetting all about Jesus until the next morning for five minutes during your devotion, and then you forget all about him till the next morning. That's not abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus is to abide in him throughout the day. Be thinking about him, praying to him, remembering a Bible verse, looking to let your light shine, living for Jesus, remembering he could come back. That's abiding in Jesus. And that is so, so important. And, you know, I think that when we don't abide in Jesus, we're more likely to get into sin. There's more chance of us saying something or thinking something or doing something that that we shouldn't do. And sin breaks fellowship. If you're saved, it won't break your salvation, but it'll break your fellowship with God. It'll become a dark cloud between you and your heavenly Father. And that can be forgiven and cleaned up, and it should be. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But sin brings guilt. If you can sin and not feel guilty, you may not even be saved. Sin brings guilt. The successful sinner, the successful criminal has no conscience. They can sin and not even feel it. So sin brings guilt. And guilt makes us ashamed. We don't want to abide in Jesus. We hang our head in guilt. And now all of a sudden, the prayer is broken. Bang. We can't go to God confidently, can we? Because of the sin. Have you read in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, have you read the seven letters to the seven churches? How many have read those seven letters? Raise your hand, just so I, I'm curious, just so I can see. All right, that's just about all of us. The seven letters to seven churches. The first church is Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. The last church is in Laodicea. And there are two extremes that Christians sometimes fall into. And the first extreme is what we'll call Christian legalism. The church at Ephesus, they were very doctrinally correct, but Jesus said, I have something against you. You have left your first love. You remember reading that? It's because they got so involved with Christian legalism, they lost sight of Jesus. And when you lose sight of Jesus, you cannot abide in Jesus. So that's one extreme. The other extreme was in the seventh letter to the seventh church. That's at Laodicea. And boy, that church was really messed up. They had worldly ways, worldly standards and worldly ways. They were more interested in what they could do in the world and what the world could do for them. And this is a Christian church. 
And so here's the other extreme, is worldly ways. And Christians that are involved in worldly ways cannot abide in Jesus because Jesus is not in those things. So you cannot abide in Jesus. Both extremes, Christians are susceptible and we have to be careful. And so you and I, we can have great confidence when we go to God in prayer. We can get more prayers answered on the basis of this confidence. This is the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay? So just a few encouragements there. Have no confidence in the flesh. Learn to fear the Lord and abide in Jesus. All right, let's pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.